Blue 80, Blue 80, shut up. And I snap the ball, and there's just this horrific splash. It's time to join the stink tank. You're right, Jets fans. That's the one right there in the middle. And I'm like, I'm just going to go. And I completely emptied my bladder on the bench. I like to call myself a Jason Bourne of pooping. Mark Schlereth. This stinks. Every Tuesday with Wyman and Bob. We look forward to it every single week, and I think this is the last week he's with us for a while. Maybe we can talk him into coming on here and there, and we'll see what his schedule looks like. But the one, the only Mark Schlereth is here with us on the Emerald Queen Casino Sportsbook Hotline. How are you, man? I am doing great. How are you guys? We're good. We're we're sad. This is this is it. This is it, Mark. Until yeah, I mean, it's never just it. <laughs> it is. You know, it's I mean, a, it's I'm, a lot to I'm deal around. with. Yeah, I'm I'm pretty easy to get a hold of. Hey, uh, wanted to ask you. You, we, uh, our buddy comedian Adam Ray sent us a picture of you, you two from Arizona. Yeah, and he said Super Bowl Schlereth. He's going to come to Seattle for my show and get hammered. Is what he said. <laughs> All right, did you All right. did, did you tell him you were coming to Seattle? No, I, oh, I, I mean, right. I may have, but if I did, I was lying to him. But <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh. All right. Yeah, but I want to. Hey, I want to make the little shaver feel good. You know, like oh yeah, I can't wait to see your show. <laughs> yeah, whatever. The little shaver is that we called him. Yeah, a little shaver. All right. Well, maybe maybe we could coerce you into coming out for a show. I think you you dig him. He's very funny. Oh, but, it'd be fun. He's hilarious. Yeah, he's good. All right. So what's uh, what's what, where did a little shaver come from? What <laughs> what part know. of your I, brain? <laughs> I never, never heard that one. Don't try, don't try to get in there. Okay. There's, there's, I mean, that thing is it's, it's crowded up there. Yeah, it's, it's not good for anybody, Dave. <laughs> no. Uh, hey, so what? Uh, give us a thought on the Super Bowl. There's a lot of hand wringing going on about the call that was made, and a lot of people defending it. A lot of people have issues. Where are you at on on the call and the impact it had on the game? Well, I hated the call. I mean, the first holding call. Uh, you know, first holding call, defensive holding call of the game. And, you know, at the line of scrimmage, there's some hand fighting that's allowed there on the, on, you know, if you're playing press coverage. So, you know, I, I just thought, I just thought there's probably 10, you know, there, there are probably 10 opportunities or 10, um, 10 things that happened during that game um, that were more egregious than that, that were never called. So like, you know, here it is, here it is, and this is like a legitimate piece of analysis, not me just dicking around. So, like, it's like like uh, Greg Maddox said. You know, when I first he goes when I would when I would check it out what, what I would get in the first inning. You know, I like throw it you know right on the edge, and then I I get a little further out on the black, and then I get an inch outside, then two inches outside, and if I'm getting strikes, I keep working outside until the guy doesn't give me the strike anymore. And now I know the parameters of the strike zone. So if you're letting guys be handsy, if you're letting guys grab a little bit, if you're letting guys, you know, on the chuck rule, the, you know, the illegal contact rule, if you're letting them go seven yards instead of five yards and it's not getting called, guess what? You've established the way you're calling the game. And we all go through it, man. I was coached throughout my whole career. What is and isn't called, that shouldn't be called. We can get away with that. Make sure we, make sure we exploit that. Make sure every player plays that way. So for the entirety of the game, you're letting them get a little hand fighting going on. You're letting them do those things. You're letting them explore kind of the boundaries of holding and, and uh, you know, illegal contact and all that. And all of a sudden, the most one of the most pivotal plays of the game on a third down and eight, now we're going to call it. That's, that to me is garbage. I, like, why, why, why call it then? 
Like if it was, if you were doing that the whole game, that's one thing. Now that said, the Eagles didn't stop them one time during the second half. They didn't mm-hmm. get one stop. So like, did that play affect? No, it didn't affect the game. Other than it affected the opportunity for the Eagles to get the ball back with a minute forty three seconds to see if they could either tie. Because I'm assuming the you know I'm assuming Kansas City is going to make a field goal to either tie or win it. Um, it was a tremendous game, but my my thing is why would you call a ticky tack violation at that point of the game when you haven't called one the entirety of the game? Hmm. Well, I, you know it's interesting you make the uh, the reference with with baseball so. Because they do, you know, the big league hitters will turn around and go, okay, so that's the most outside or, you know, they have a discussion and I'm not sure if you ever did this, Mark, but I used to have discussions with the officials and maybe this is something that could be, you know, maybe help them say, hey, you know, like I had a guy come up and say, hey, if you do that again, I'm going to have to flag you, you know, so at least I knew what the parameters were. And I'm wondering if that can be solved by, did you ever talk to guys and say, okay, can I get away with this? Can I get it? What's the sort of range? Because everybody kind of has a different tolerance for that, right? As far as the officials right. go. Yeah, I always used to talk to the uh, to the ref and, and, you know, pregame and say, hey, listen, man, if I get my hands outside, by all means. My hands are outside the, the framework of the body, and I'm grabbing a dude, by all means, to the flag. If I had my hands inside, and I, you know, I used to kind of joking around, but I wasn't joking. Like the, the, the breastplate or the shoulder pad, uh, God invented that breastplate of the shoulder pad so I could hold you. Mm-hmm. Like, and, and, and if you're gonna, like, if you give me the breastplate of your shoulder pads, then you're the you're the idiot that, that's allowing it to happen. Right? Yeah. What an ass clown you are! Because I'm not. It's not like I'm not going to hold that. And so, as long as I have my hands inside, the theory was as long as they're inside there, that's not holding. And you know, and I would I would definitely have that conversation with the guy. Say, hey man, you know, like I'll undress this dude. My hands will be right there on those numbers, right there on those breastplates, and that is not holding. Um, you cannot call that. And and we would have that conversation all the time. Yeah. It just seemed, it seemed to me that, well, A, first of all, there was no debate as to whether it was a penalty because everybody said as much, including the guy it was called on. I, I, I'm curious your reaction to him. and I, I, I've got a ton of respect for Bradbury standing up there after the game going, yeah, I held him. I, I pulled the jersey. I was just hoping they'd let it slide. Would you? I'm, I'm guessing Philly fans don't love that, but I've got a lot of respect for that considering the situation. Yeah, but again, like, like is that an egregious? Like, I don't think the second part of that was like. I didn't think the second part. I didn't think he adjusted or or turned the receiver in any way, shape, or form. Um, you know, and holding is a little bit different than pass interference and. You know, the subjective nature of of the way they call games makes it kind of difficult. But, um, you know, I mean, mean, whatever. Again, I look at it like that that hold was on the line of scrimmage. To me, it was the first part. It was the the part where he went in and and then he went back out. That's where you got a little bit of a grab, I guess. But, I mean, nothing to the point where it really extended the jersey Guys, we've seen, I mean, we've seen things that are far more egregious than that not get called. And that was the first time that officiating crew decided to call a defensive holding penalty the whole game. You, so you're telling me that was the first one that came up in the game? That was the first one? Um, I just, you know, I, I look at that and I find that hard to believe. Although I did go through the Kansas City tape 
um, this afternoon, just looking for that in particular. And uh, Kansas City played pretty clean. Now, they play a ton of zone, and they did a really good job within the first five yards. There was a couple late, you know, that was illegal contact late or a little grab at the very end of a route at about 10 to 12 yards that could have been flagged but didn't get flagged. And that's what I would expect in that situation. Hey, Mark, was there anything that you could take away every year? We always joke about, you know, that, oh, just do whatever the team that won the Super Bowl did, and then we'll go to the Super Bowl. Uh, just get Patrick Mahomes. Or, But was there any right. kind of any kind of formula, probably for, you know, for both teams, just to make it to the Super Bowl that really stood out to you that those two teams are doing that others aren't necessarily? Well, I think, I think when you look at how dominant they are on both lines of scrimmage, yeah. You're talking about the Philadelphia Eagles that that led the league in, in total quarterback sacks. Now, they didn't pressure, so you got to give a lot of credit to Kansas City because Kansas City locked them down um, up front. And, you know, Kansas City is a, a, a team that loves to get five out in the pattern, right? So you're going to go 5-0 protection, you know, R5 versus your five. And they held up, and they did a great job of holding up. Of course, when they did get pressure, Mahomes scrambles around and makes something happen, which is, you know, always – kind of the the formula there but i i would just say the bottom line is both these crews both these teams do a phenomenal job of dominating line of scrimmage and and i just thought i thought kansas city their back end their the way they played and they play a ton of zone you know uh, um but they do a really good job of getting up pressing disrupting the initial route of the receiver right never a clean release and then finding their spatial, like they have great spatial awareness. So finding their spots on the field where they're supposed to be in whatever zone coverage they called. And I thought they did a really good job, you know, like when they're playing cover six and, you know, cover two into the boundary, and that corner jammed his guy and then fell off on any corner route or any deeper secondary route, um, did a really good job of squeezing those and taking them away. And like they were, they were just really good. Um, everywhere on the field, and so you got to tip your cap to those guys because they did a they did a phenomenal job. But you know, again, you you can you know, like you said, Mahomes. I mean, you're just not going to find many of those guys. So you control the line of scrimmage. You do that. I, I'll tell you the other thing that impressed me about Kansas City is Andy Reid. I think learned from the Super Bowl they lost a couple of years ago because Isaiah Pacheco, um, that dude, that dude is a hard running little Jesse man, and he got 15 carries and. You know, they ended up having over 150 yards rushing, and they did enough in the run game to continue to open up play action stuff and to continue to make the uh, Philadelphia Eagles aware of their run game, which they didn't do in that Super Bowl that they got trounced in uh, against Tampa Bay. How much credit do you give to the the staff of, of Kansas City? Dave was talking about that. We were hitting it yesterday and just their what they're able to do, whether you're talking about Steve Spagnuolo on the defensive side or Eric Bieniemy, and, and obviously Andy Reid. Uh, but it just seems like they they just have it dialed in. What, whatever the strengths and weaknesses are of each of those players, they've got it dialed in perfectly to set them up for success. What's, what's your take on their staff? Yeah, I think they've done a great job with that stuff. And I think one of the big things, you know, is not uh, – to me, it's, it's really you – know, the first part of game planning to me is not attacking somebody's weaknesses. It's mitigating your own. And so – you look at yourself, you know, with a self scout and say, hey, man, we got to be really good here, or this guy needs help in this situation, or, hey, our running back can't pick up that blitz, so 
we need to make sure that we do something, you know, to keep a tight end in or whatever the case may be. And you mitigate your own issues. And then once you've mitigated issues, how do we attack people? And you saw, you know, the two touchdowns with the little short motions where, you know, they're, they're, they're taking um, those corners who are trying to travel or trying to run with those, uh, those players that are going in motion. And then, you know, flipping it out there. And I love the play repeating nature of Andy Reid. You know, you get it to Kadarius Tony on the first one, wide open, nobody covers him. Combination of a, a breakdown between Darius Slay and whoever was playing safety on that side. And then they get right back down on the red zone. They go, well, let's do it to the other side and see what happens. And the same damn thing happened. So I just, you know, you got to give, you got to give Andy Reid and his staff a ton of credit for the way they played that. Well, and speaking of uh, of uh, Andy Reid and his staff, what do you make of uh, Eric Bieniemy? Because you know, I thought I gave him a lot of credit for some of those. I mean, obviously, they saw something in the defenders with Philly that, like, like you said, when they traveled, the guy turns his head because you know when you're doing that, you're looking to get through traffic there, and they just exploited right. that. I thought that was brilliant, but um, you know, Bieniemy, I think you know, uh, seemingly draws up a lot of these plays and everything. And yet he, he's, you know, not gotten uh, a job as a head coach. Is he maybe one of those guys that's just not a head coach or maybe doesn't want to be, or is he getting looked over? Yeah, I think there's, I mean, I think there's a lot of things that go into that. Obviously, um, I think one is that he probably doesn't get the credit that he may deserve because Andy Reid is, you know, always been that designer of offense and the guy that you assume is making a lot of the calls and stuff. So I think that, I think that hurts uh, the enemy a little bit in the uh, interview process. And, you know, then the other thing is, is you gotta be, you gotta be fairly polished. And, you know, I'll go back to a story about Gary Kubiak, who you, you, you know, well, and yeah. the first time that Gary Kubiak uh, as an offensive coordinator, the Denver Broncos under Mike Shanahan interviewed for a head coaching job. Um, it was with the Houston Texans and they passed him by for Dom Capers. And then the Don, when they finally, when they fired Dom Capers years later, um, they were the first guy on their list again was Gary Kubiak. And I had a call from their general manager, Charlie Casserly, who was with me in Washington, who said, Hey, Mark, Mark, make sure you get a hold of Gary and tell him, like, this is what he needs to do in the, in the interview process that he didn't do last time. He's got to be demonstrative, demonstrative and he's got to be, you know, exude confidence and give the plan out and, you know, he, he just doesn't operate that way because Gary's kind of quiet and everything else. And so he goes, if he doesn't do that, you know, our owner's going to bypass him again. He needs a certain thing. So sometimes you, you've got to be able to play the game, even if it means you're not necessarily being the way you would be, you know, in front of the room, in front of your players. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, Eric B. Enemy is one of those guys that will come in there and drop a couple of F-bombs and, and let you know what he's thinking. And, you know, you know, unfortunately, that doesn't always necessarily lend itself to you getting a job. Yeah. Well, and, you know, I've said this about the enemy. I mean, I played against him, and he, he was one of the guys. I don't have anything against him, but he was a jerk. He probably would have said the same thing about me, uh, you know. Right. But, yeah, he was just one of those guys that uh, was always, like, you know, getting after everybody. And, you know, so I don't know. You mentioned the yeah. polish part of it. I, I guess that could be, but... You know, maybe if you hook up with the right owner, you know, then it's like he doesn't really care about that kind of stuff. But yeah, I just right. I was just curious about that because it's been a number of years now that Eric Bieniemy hasn't, you know, he's his name has come up and he just hasn't gotten it. 
Yeah, I think one of the I think one of the things, and you know, these are just things you know you hear through the grapevine. But um, I think one of the things that it probably helped. I think the thing that it damages it more than anything else is, you know, it's 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 kind of like Byron Leftwich and and uh, Bruce Arians. I don't care how much game planning Byron Evans is in charge, or excuse me, uh, Byron Leftwich is in charge of. Um, you know, as when Bruce Arians is head coach, he's going to get the credit for most of it, even if he's turned over a lot of it. And I think for Eric Bieniemy to really get that opportunity, he's going to have to walk away from you know the, uh, the tutelage of uh, an Andy Reid and kind of go to another place, call plays, and have great success. And and then I think maybe he becomes more viable candidate. What, what did you think of uh, the the hires? That well, first of all, let me ask you about Sean Payton. We we saw Terry Bradshaw say that. You know, he had a conversation with Sean Payton and he didn't want to go to Arizona to deal with that quarterback and wasn't really that fired up to deal with Russell Wilson. Now Sean came out and tried to do a little damage control there. But what what what, what do you make of that? I, I, I'm i assuming there's some level of truth to that that he obviously doesn't want made public. But what was your feeling about that? One is Terry Bradshaw is a, a national treasure, right? He is. <laughs> that old curmudgeon kind of grandfather uncle that comes over and you have to apologize before any of your guests get here, you know, <laughs> the preemptive apology. Terry, <laughs> yes. Uncle Terry's going to say a few things and you know, they're going to be <laughs> offensive. And uh, you just got to understand he's kind of old and a little bit senile, and, you know, and that's just going to happen. And then, you know, you, you make sure you smooth it over with all the guests that are coming over. Cause you know, uncle Terry's going to, you know, drop a few, uh, drop a few things, but yeah, I mean, ultimately, I think I think there's probably some truth to, you know, what you have to do to fix Russell and, you know, and, and how you have to manage him. And, you know, I mean, he already started that. I mean, he started that as soon as he had his press conference a week ago where he's just like, hey, you know, here, here's the deal. One, you know, uh, I need more anonymous donors. I don't need you to be posting everything you do on Instagram, you know, like, hey, look how hard I'm working. Hey, look at, you know, mm. we need to stop that. And then. You know, ultimately, we talked about, you know, he talked about Jake Heaps, Russell's personal quarterback coach, being in the building. He goes, uh, you know, I'm not really familiar with the situation, but that won't happen. Yeah. Like, he ain't, you know, you're not bringing your own people here. So, there's always, there already has been a kind of a division of, of labor or authority, I guess, is probably more the division of authority. Like, I'm in charge, so he's going to have to play by my rules. So, which is, you know, that's the way it should be. That's a good thing. So, I'm glad that he did it. Um, we'll see exactly how that plays out. But the really? Kyler, the yeah. Kyler Murray part seemed that seemed logical to me. And, and Dave, we've talked about just how he's you view him from the outside. He doesn't look like a great leader. Obviously, he's got ability, but man, he feels like he'd just be a pain in the butt to deal with. And and Terry kind of echoing that, you know, and relaying yeah. that conversation. Yeah, that, well, I don't think there's any. I don't think there's any question. And you know, I think all of us, to a degree, have to. Uh, have to grow up and you know i always said this to my own son when he when you know he he left to play professional baseball was uh just remember just because you play a pro sport doesn't make you a professional and you know i expect you to be a professional and i just don't know that um i don't know that uh that message is is has rung through i think one of the hard things to do for like i always say you know um just athletes in general um you know, football is easy for football players. It's really hard for athletes. And you got to be a football player. And sometimes when you're gifted, 
when you're exceptionally gifted, and we've all seen these guys that are exceptionally gifted, um, they've always been able to have that their athlete, the, the athlete in them, take over as their default mechanism. And eventually you eventually you get to a point where that no longer is good enough. And you can dominate in Pop Warner and you can dominate in high school and you can dominate in college. Um, but every guy that plays in the NFL is a full-grown-ass man. And every guy who plays in the NFL is a really, you know, a, a really talented player. And your default mechanism, especially the quarterback position, cannot be from the neck down. It has to be from the neck up. And when all you've known is I'm better, I'm a better athlete than everybody else, and it's really hard to transition. Mm-hmm. It's really hard to transition. Well, Mark, I feel like I should say something monumental right now because it's uh, the last show. But if somebody, you know, if there's something that maybe strikes your fancy, like uh, somebody pooping their pants or something like that, maybe we can get you back on sometime before next football season. <laughs> to break season. it all down for us. Yeah, what do you think, man? Oh, yeah, I think that would be that would be tremendous. Anytime, you know, uh, being the Jason Bourne of pooping, I am, yeah. if anybody grabs their pants uh, in any, any stage, I don't even need to know about the sport or that like I'm your guy. I'm the, the go to I'm the go to authority. The sport. Like that is that is my thing. You need analysis in the well, sport of was, pooping your pants. That He's was your truly guy. monumental. That that really was. Thank you. <laughs> okay. We've really loved having you on, man, and uh, appreciate you. And yeah, like like I said, maybe something will come up and uh, we'll give you a shout sometime. What do you think? Yeah, hey, you know how to get a hold of me, and I and I always answer your text messages. Uh, you yeah. do, and maybe you he'll do. come up when Adam's uh, performing here in Seattle, yeah. and there'll be a surprise guest with Mark Schlereth in the audience. How about that? There you go. There we yeah. go. There you go. Yeah, come visit us. We yeah. we appreciate right. you, man. Thanks, Mark. You guys be good. Take right, care. Buddy. There you go, Mark Slareth. For the final time, officially, he'll he'll we'll speak to him again. <laughs> kind of a tear to the eye there, you know. Football it's, season's gone. It's kind of a down day. Yeah. But uh, yeah. So if you missed any of that conversation, well, you better you better savor it because it was the last one until next football season or until we call him again. Uh, but it'll be available on the podcast page for you after the show. SeattleSports.com. Click the podcast tab. Click on our picture. And as Wyman and Lefko tell you every time, click subscribe. That's the key to the whole thing. All right, coming up, it's a question that might not have an easy answer, but can the Seahawks find an equivalent to Patrick Mahomes at quarterback? We'll talk about that next with Wyman and Bob. This is Seattle Sports Station on 710. Wyman and Bob. Powered through the Alaska Airlines Studio. On Seattle Sports and the Seattle Sports app. Our thanks to Mark Slareth, who joined us in the previous segment, his final appearance for the season, till we uh, beg him to come on again at some point. Uh, but uh, always good stuff with him. So if you just tuned in, that conversation will be available on the podcast page after the show at seattlesports.com. Click the podcast tab, scroll down to our picture and click on that, and it'll be right there waiting for you. And meanwhile, Seahawks need to get some clarity on their quarterback position Uh Geno Smith, obviously, they'd love to bring him back. He'd love to be back. So, how do the is he a guy you you feel like is is sort of an I'm not going to say an equivalent because he's not nobody is an equivalent to Patrick Mahomes, uh, but you think they could get creative? Could they do some of the same things with him, or is is that going to take a different kind of kind of uh, talent? I guess 
that he doesn't currently possess. Does you it? mean just like the play calling? Yeah, I guess just the, the ability to, you know, the Chiefs feel like it feels like they could just do whatever they want because Mahomes can do it. He can throw from the pocket. He can scramble. He can throw across his body. He can throw it over his head. He can throw it between his legs, whatever. Well, I think, you know, that's something that I, it's something we've never really seen. I, mean, I, I think I texted you guys a play last uh, last season where Mahomes makes the most ill-advised throw. Like it goes against every single thing you've ever heard from a quarterback coach, <clears throat> namely, don't grow, don't throw late across the middle, back across your body. And he did that and was a, a completion against the Texans to Travis Kelsey. He's just different. I mean, he's he does things that nobody else does. Now, <laughs> I feel like that there's going to be a lot of frustrated quarterback coaches that are, for the next 10 years, going to be coaching kids to not do what yeah. Patrick Mahomes does. And, you know, it's... He's a he's a very interesting like one in a lifetime type of player. You know, we used to say this about um, Junior Seau that you can't run under a block unless your name is Junior Seau. What that means is you're taking the wrong path to get to the running back. But Junior Seau would do it all the time because he was ridiculously quick and yeah. fast. Junior Seau, if he was playing right now, I think that y- you would still say that guy plays at a different level. Yeah than everybody else. And that's that's the way Patrick Mahomes is. But I think there is some some part of it that's going to be frustrating to these quarterback coaches that are like, you know, the ball's got to zip out here and you have to have your legs planted here and your hips here. So um but he can he can do that, obviously. So but I'm curious if that maybe there are other guys that can do a couple of the things that he does that are kind of watching and it's just an it's a different way to play football. Now not drastically but still, there are some things about his game that are just just a little bit different in in kind of a significant way. He makes plays that nobody else can make. Yeah, and we and we talked about you know the the idea that you you can only pay your quarterback so much. There's a there's yeah. a group of people that believe you know we get this whether we talked about Russell, whether we're talking about Aaron Rodgers, any quarterback making a big chunk of money. The idea was, well, you can't pay a quarterback that much, this percentage of your salary cap, and expect to win a Super Bowl. It hasn't happened since blah, blah, blah. Well, now it's happened. Patrick Mahomes, I think, is the second highest paid player in the league behind Aaron Rodgers. So is he the anomaly, or is is that kind of a blueprint? Yeah, you can pay your guy that much if you have that belief, certainly. You don't just go around all willy-nilly, Dave, throwing that (laughs) money at just anybody. But, But Andrew Brandt, who was on with Brock and Salk, Talked about the idea of of you can't pay your quarterback is kind of nonsense. You're hitting a sore spot for me, Mike. <laughs> I'll I'll tell you what I I did Philly radio, same question about Hertz. I did Cincinnati radio, same question about Burrow. I did L.A. radio, same question about Herbert. Listen, let me try to be very clear on this. It's a cop out. It's a tired excuse for teams, for fans, for media to say. You can't build a Super Bowl roster if you have a high-level quarterback. That, to me, is such BS. Such BS. That's a former front office guy for the Packers, and he was, you know, in the know, I guess. Now, I guess to what extent can you pay Aaron Rodgers 50-plus million and still fill all the holes? Now, it's going to be unique to every team because some teams don't have a bunch of guys like that. The Seahawks had two guys like that. You had Bobby and Russ both making a lot of money at the Mm -hmm. same time. So that does impact you in a bigger way than 
a team that's paying a quarterback and not really paying the big dollars to anybody else. Yeah, you can you can afford to spread it around. So everybody's roster situation is different. Yeah. Well, and I think the other thing, first of all, I think he's right. But here's what you have to have. You have to have a lot of hits because there's lots of ways that you lose money by, you know, the cap where whether it's through injuries or a guy just doesn't work out or he's not nearly the player. And again, and it, and it pains me to say Jamal Adams. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's a huge dead chunk of money yep. that just sits on your salary cap. And, you know, uh, it's it's something that, uh, you know, you're not getting your money's worth out of him. And I think, yeah, you can have you can pay a guy like Patrick Mahomes or, you know, Tom Brady or, or uh, Aaron Rodgers, but all of the like. The other thing is, and I mentioned this already, Kansas City really did a good job in the draft the last three years of just filling out. I mean, there's some superstars in here, but like Willie Gay, I don't know if he's a superstar, but, you know, he was a big part of what they did defensively. Legereus Sneed, uh, Creed Humphrey, Nick Bolton. I mean, there's a bunch of those guys. They hit on their drafts. And then, you know, have to look at all of their free agents, but I think for the most part, they've worked out. They're getting a lot out of Frank Clark. They're getting mm-hmm. a lot out of Carlos Dunlap. Mm-hmm. They've got Chris Jones. I mean, everything has to work. So got Orlando Brown traded picks for him. That's right. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, that that's, I think, you know, the injuries are what kill you. And then, you know, if you just, you just make a mistake on a guy, you get a guy in here and it's like, man, he's just not the guy we thought. And you're paying him, you know, 10, 12, 15 million, whatever it is. That's what kills you. And I I feel like that's what what Andrew Brandt there is saying that yeah you can do that but I think the party doesn't mention is that you have to hit on your drafts you have to hit on all of the free agents that you sign yeah and and we've been looking at some of the quarterbacks because the obviously the Seahawks are going to be in a position should they so choose to take one one of those guys you know whether it's and you know Will Levis he's gaining a lot of steam and popularity maybe he goes higher than anybody thought but we were you know talking to different play by play guys for different teams and. And we had Tom Leach on, who's the voice of uh, the Kentucky Wildcats, and he he talked about Levis being that that prototypical quarterback. Whether it's at the combine or in a private workout, really impress scouts because he's got all the things. If you feed data into a computer and it spits out NFL quarterback, it it spits out somebody that uh, looks like him, big, strong, uh, strong arm, just a you know a cannon for an arm. But also uh, the the question when he arrived here was that maybe wasn't as good on the touch passes, but uh, he definitely improved on that under uh, particularly the first year under the tutelage of uh, Liam Cohen, who then left to, to go to the Rams, but has, uh, has come back here now as the OC. Uh, you know, Will has everything you would want in terms of the, you know, what a quarterback looks like. Be interesting if they do go quarterback in this draft, whether it's five or whether it's at twenty, whether it's in the second round, third round, wherever. And they look at it as all right, we're gonna, we've got a nice situation. We can bridge the gap with Geno, pay him for two years, three years, whatever that contract ends up being, and we're gonna develop this kid under uh, behind him. No yeah. pressure to throw him right in the deep end. We can let him learn. Let just him, like Mahomes, yeah, just like Mahomes, just like Aaron Rodgers, yeah. just you know. So we've seen it before. Uh, and they've gone the other way. They threw Russell right in. Now they they certainly managed that offense to suit his lack of experience because we always forget that you know the first half plus of that season, I th- he might have thrown over two hundred yards one or two times. I'll go back and look, but I remember just getting texts like, "He's got to be sat down. Bring in Matt Flynn. You got to put in somebody else. Is he ever going to throw for over two hundred? They, they you know they had the training wheels on him, 
So unless they want to go that route again, they've got the luxury if they resign Gino to say, yeah, we love this kid in the draft, whoever it may be. Yeah. But we don't. There's no urgency to play him right now because we got this guy. So it, it feels like a pretty good situation if they've got that conviction about a quarterback in this draft. Yeah, I agree. And it would be interesting even if they got, like you said, one in the second and third round. Yes, yeah. that's that's what they did with Russ. But, you know, it, it's uh, whenever we talk about, you know, Patrick Mahomes, it's like, yeah, he sat that first year. Forget about Aaron Rodgers. He sat for three years, man. He played in seven games in three years. And then his first year as a, as a starter, he was six and ten. So, I mean, it, it took a while for him. And, you know, and that that's one thing where, I mean, Russ, yeah, he went through, like, I feel like those first couple years with Aaron Rodgers are kind of what, what Russell went through in the first five or six games. Yeah. You know, he, he, because by the end of the year, it was like you totally trusted him to run yeah. the offense. And he, he, I don't want to say he could do everything, but I mean, you, you pretty much let him go. And yeah, it happened fast. So, you know, maybe we keep talking about this magic that the Seahawks have with uh, whether it's, you know, Schneider and his evaluation, and Pete Carroll able to coach or get the right coaching um, seems to be, uh, you know, like we were saying earlier, what at what point when you go, OK, I don't trust Pete and John, you know, enough to get like Jameis Winston yeah, or somebody like that. That, that would be my line. I know that's the extreme for you. <laughs> that's that's where I go. John, I'm not on board with you, brother. I yeah. love you, man. I can't go. I, can't I would go love it if he we signed him, and then we go down to do the John Schneider show, which we're doing every Thursday for the next 10 weeks, yeah. and you go, yeah, I'm just not with you, man. He'd say, so? <laughs> he'd say, I don't care. No, he'd be like, why not? Yeah, Come on. I don't think he cares. I think he's got a conviction. He's going to go with it, and I respect that. All right, coming up, Chiefs might not even have been in the Super Bowl if not for that defensive line. We'll get into how the Seahawks stack up. Coming up next with Wyman and Bob, this is the Seattle Sports Station on 710. Wyman and Bob. Powered through the Alaska Airlines Studio. On Seattle Sports and the Seattle Sports app. You know, I like the opportunity to come in here every day with Bob, and we solve all the world's problems. <laughs> We've got all the answers. We've got it's all amazing. the answers, everything. If everybody could remember this, boys and girls, if you could just be more like Dave and Bob. <laughs> Your life would be so much would, easier. So much better, easier. <laughs> Easy to figure yeah. out. You'll be wealthy beyond your wildest oh, dreams. Look at us living in the lap of luxury. We do this because we want to, not because we have to. Bills. Got enough money to last me generations. Are you kidding? Come I'm on. scared to ask what you're referring to. <laughs> oh, well, nothing we're going to get gonna into. Have on to, you know, you sit yeah. back there in your ivory tower behind the, the glass and looking down your, your nose at everybody. Yeah. Judging us. Oh, yes. Judging. This. Always judging. This is the lap of luxury. Back Always judging. Back on this side. Yeah, you and your vast fortune you're, you're accumulating back there. I mean, it's it's ridiculous. Hey, I brought wax cheese in for you today. Did uh, you? Yeah, for Lefka. <laughs> well, where is it? Well, it's in my bag here. Calm okay. down. Thank you. Well, you want me <laughs> Appreciate to... it. It, it. Now, did you check with him to make sure it's the right brand? Because he'll let you know if it's not. It's from Costco. <laughs> he'll let you know. Oh, these as are long the, as there's wax on it, I'm good to go. These are the <laughs> these are the crappy ones. Why do yeah. you these? You know what I I am obsessed with? You take the wax off, and I always roll it into a ball, and then I feel like it it will form into anything. Like you could make little creatures out of it, like a little bunny rabbit. It's like Play-Doh. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> what, what is the point of the wax? Is that keep it fresh, or what? What is that? Because it's only on those, Thank right? You. That's what I've been asking. 
What? I don't oh. know. What's the point of the wax? Got the way. Well, the point of it for you is to eat it. <laughs> eat it. Yeah, like it's Halloween <laughs> it candy. It's supposed to be there. That's why. There's no point of it. I like it. It's even got like that strap that goes around that you're not supposed to eat, not made out of wax. Mike ate that. Two videos. No, no, that's when I learned I was eating the wrong thing. Two videos I wish I had. Three. The conversation between Adam Ray and, and, and Thumb about the boat. The boat. You on the treadmill getting fired into the wall. <laughs> <laughs> and then... If I could have had my camera aimed on your face as you were looking over my shoulder because Lefko was behind me, we're in the Mariners booth, and you're looking at him like you're squinting, <laughs> you're just in disbelief going, are you eating the wax? You know it's just funny? the look on your face was hilarious. Is that probably was on camera because our show streams, <laughs> so that's good. where the camera is. It's focused on you two. I'm just, yeah. So Dave's face probably was on camera. And I'm talking and he's looking at you squinting and I'm just sitting there talking. Oh, why is he making that face? And you're just like. Are you eating the wax? Like, what the hell is wrong with you? <laughs> so good. Those are three videos uh, I would love to have. Those those would be priceless. Yeah, that's that's a good. Uh, that would get you laughing. Uh, and then somebody like maybe four weeks after that comes up to me out at Edgar's and goes, "Hey, where's the guy that eats the wax?" <laughs> like, yeah, he's right over there. That's him. That's him. Hey, uh, we were talking about the Seahawks position groups and, and how they compare, even coaching staff. Just how does this team compare? How far away are they from the Chiefs? We hold up the Super Bowl winners as the standard. So what do they do? What do they have that we don't have? What do the Seahawks need that the Chiefs have? How do they compare defensively? You look at that defensive line. We've said this throughout the season that there are players we like on the Seahawks. You like Nuolosu. You like what he's been able to do, Daryl Taylor, toward the end of the season. Yeah. Boy, they, Mafe, but they yeah. don't have that extra meeting guy. They don't have no. that guy that you've talked about in the past. Like they require special attention. Yeah, like, Chiefs have a couple of those guys. Chris Jones, Chris Jones, and maybe to let Frank Clark, especially in the postseason. You see, what is he? Is he second all time in sacks in the postseason? Yeah, it's a crazy stat. Yeah, it's like thirteen and a half sacks in the postseason or something like that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's you know I, we talked about offensive line obviously, and you know that that part okay. I feel like you at least got, and look, they're not there yet. I, I would say, I, let me finish my sentence here. I'm arguing with myself. Uh, Cross, <laughs> Charles Cross and Abraham Lucas, we talk about, okay, we feel really good about them. Mm-hmm. But really, they need to take that next step next year. But I I don't really feel like that on the defensive side. Like, there's not really anybody that I'm like, man, if this guy steps up. I mean, maybe Daryl Taylor, maybe Boye Mafe a little bit. You know, but they didn't really, they didn't really establish themselves like those other two on the other side. So my point is, is that I think the defensive line is a bigger, it's a bigger emergency. There's a much bigger gap between yes. what the Chiefs are working with versus the Seahawks. And is that the side that KJ called? He called one critical and the other like disastrous, horrific. Or, or... Yeah. <laughs> so I mean, I I don't know if he said D line or offensive line, but I think the emphasis would be on D line, and that. You know, I feel like they have guys right now that most teams would have as sort of the back end of their roster. Mm-hmm. Whereas, and there's no you know big superstar that that's in there on on the defensive line, pretty much anywhere. Well, I, mean, I think I asked you, would any of these guys start for the any of the Seahawks starting D linemen? Would they start for the Eagles? Would they start for, for the, the 49ers? Would they start? And yeah. you said, well, probably not. Yeah, I don't. 
I don't think so. I mean, you know, it's funny. Uh, Uchenna Nuosu is really a good numbers guy, really powerful and everything. It's just that, like, his sacks were just pure power moves. I felt like it wasn't like he put a spin on anybody. He's just relentless, and he just gets after the quarterback. But he's probably the closest one. I mean, he's the one that's probably the most productive. Daryl Taylor, but, you know, you think, gosh, when you have to drop him into pass coverage or he has to play the run, there's a little bit of a liability there. So, yeah, I think I think that there's a, a much bigger difference. And the other thing is, too, with the Chiefs, I said this going into that game, they weren't ranked great in the NFL, but I thought that they were a very underrated defense. If you look at the pieces that they have and the plays that they've made, and they really stepped up. You yeah, know, they they really in the playoffs had had a really good good postseason. What is your what is your feeling about their linebackers? Because we've talked about the Seahawks don't really. And KJ said it; they don't have any linebackers. Yeah. There's no linebackers on this team. Well, obviously Jordan Brooks is a linebacker, but with the injury, you're you're not sure is he there to start the season? Does it take him a few weeks to get up to speed? That's a huge question mark. And then outside of that, you got guys. You got Tanner Muse. You got John Radigan. You got you got Cody. You got nobody you're going, well, you're fine because yeah. you got this guy and you got this guy. You don't. Well, and I'll apologize to the texter. I said, hey, we're not talking about Cody Barton today. But, yeah, I mean, that one's very confusing to me. I don't really know what to think about Cody. I mean, I knew going into this season that he was a starter in the league, and he was based on the plays that he had made up to that point. Mm-hmm. And then he had some really good plays this year, but he had some really bad ones too. So, But, you know what, I'm going to go ahead and I, I think maybe I'm the one who created some of this, but I'm going to kind of pump the brakes a little bit on Jordan Brooks and just assume that, He's going to be like 90% of players that he's able to come back from an ACL. I'm yeah. kind, of, kind of worried about, like they talked about Will Disley's injury being kind of weird. Uh, I haven't he, seen that. When, I don't yeah. like when they say they haven't seen something like that before. No kidding, right? I, don't I like mean, that that's, at all. that's ridiculous. And then, you know, BBK, um, Ben Burkirvan has not come back from his knee injury. So, you know, I, I think the doctor staff here is as good as anywhere, but, you know, and you sent me an article about that, which I'm not yeah. sure we're going to talk about later. But um, yeah, it's it it's not always the case everywhere. But I, I think I think you can rely on Jordan Brooks being back, you know, because yeah, we saw we saw that happen with uh, with Quandre Diggs, and for the most part, that typically happens. All right, coming up, the NFL season just ended, obviously. So, what better time is there to already look at the best teams for 2023? Talk about a list that came out and where the Seahawks rank. Coming up next with Wyman and Bob, this is Seattle Sports Station on 710.